Welcome to the Saturday Cadence Podcast, your ultimate destination for all things college football. I am your host, Blake Biscardi, and our podcast is a must-listen for avid fans, casual enthusiasts, and anyone looking to immerse themselves in the thrilling world of college football. Join myself and David Wertheim as we guide you through the intricacies of college football, offering valuable insights, analysis, and captivating discussions while keeping you up to date with the latest news and recruiting developments. We go beyond the headlines, which is what separates our show from other college football outlets. Our podcast is not just about news and analysis, it's also about the people behind the game. That's right, it's about you, the fan. We bridge the gap between fan and fame, join us and embrace the thrill, excitement and strategic brilliance that define college football. Tune in, stay informed and be a part of the conversation that shapes the sport we all love. I'm Blake Biscardi and remember, the Saturday Cadence Podcast is the heartbeat of college Pac-12 theatrics, an Irish goodbye for the Trojans, and let the battle for the Big Ten East officially begin. Welcome to the heartbeat of college football. Blake Piscardi and David Wertheim with you for the 52nd episode of the Saturday Cadence podcast, part of the Silver Bulletin Network. David, we had a great weekend of college football last weekend. That was headlined by Oregon and Washington. That was a classic game out in Seattle. And then we thought we were going to have a good game with USC and Notre Dame, but the Irish were all over the Trojans. We'll get to that in a second. This week, humongous matchup in the Big Ten, Ohio State, Penn State. Can't wait for that one on Saturday. That'll be at noon. Your opening thoughts here as we begin the show. Yeah, last week really lived up to the billing. I mean, we we hyped it up, and, it's, and it delivered. Washington, Oregon, and a classic. Uh, of course, you had the stinker for USC. Notre Dame, nice win at home there. Uh, Ohio State and Michigan keep rolling, Penn State as well. And like you said, Big Ten East showdown really starts this week, and I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, let's start out West with the Washington-Oregon game. I really like both of these teams still. I think we we were guessing that Washington was pretty good. We know they hadn't played anybody yet. Well, they proved to be legitimate beating Oregon there. We can certify them as a contender. And then even Oregon, too. I know you. we can question Dan Lanning all we want to about those calls, but he wants to be aggressive. You respect him for it. It just didn't work out. Washington made the plays when they needed to, but I still think that Oregon is a contender. Watching those two teams just throw haymakers at each other, Oregon on the road, making plays. It was a back-and-forth game. Penix was awesome. Bo Nix was really good. There really wasn't a bad part of this game outside of someone having to lose. Yeah, I thought it was really fun. And you know what, Blake? It kind of reminded me of the Ohio State and Georgia game from last year. I don't know if you kind of got that feel as well. Yes. A lot of scoring. Um, you know, we, we talked a lot about Oregon's defense um, and how they were going to kind of – we'll see how they were able to handle Michael Penix. They did okay, I thought, um, but obviously not enough there at the end. And then, yeah, some questionable decisions. Dan Landing, there were a couple of fourth downs. Could have kicked the field goal. Obviously, you look at it now and say, well, those those points would, would probably help and – you know, a three-point loss. But, you know, like you said, you can't really fault him for being aggressive and good for both of those programs. I thought it was a really entertaining football game. Like you said, I think both of these teams are still really good. They're both still contenders. A lot of football left to be played in the Pac-12. So who knows how the rest of their seasons will turn out. But this game really lived up to the billing with, you know, Michael Penning's going over 300 yards yet again. Odunze catches two touchdowns. Bo Nix goes over 300 yards. And it was just really impressive to watch from two guys who are probably playing on Sundays under center and you know, all the, the supporting cast that certainly lived up to the hype. So really fun football game between two elite teams and not much you could really ask for, especially in the Pac-12 with what is the final season of their current iteration. So 
really nice to see a, a marquee game like that for the conference. It really was. And going back to Dan Lanning, hindsight is always twenty twenty on those calls. You have to do it in the moment, make that decision. And he did that, and they just didn't get it. So, again, it's hard to fault him for it. Maybe you take the points at the end of the half. I think that would have been the one I would have chosen if I had to kick one of those field goals. I would have done the one before the half to basically make it a tie game going into the half. I know it would have still been 22-21. to 21, But you're basically at a restart coming into the third quarter. Either way, like you said, I still think Oregon's a contender. I still think we see this matchup a second time for the Pac-12 championship game. Both of these two teams are outstanding. And then with Michael Penix, I think that last drive when he led Washington to the game-winning touchdown, that was his Heisman moment so far. Now, I know we've only played seven weeks of football here, but as the Heisman race is now beginning to take a true form, Caleb Williams faltered mightily with three interceptions. We'll get to him in a minute. But I thought Michael Penix is the quarterback who's had his Heisman moment now. I know we had Quinn Ewers win that game on the road in Tuscaloosa. We hadn't really had a big one since then. I think that was one for Michael Penix, and now he's in the driver's seat. Yeah, I agree, especially with Caleb Williams throwing three interceptions in the first half and a clunker in South Bend. I think Michael Penix is the clear front runner right now, and good for him, a guy who suffered some nasty injuries, obviously transferred in Indiana with uh, Kalen DeBoer. Um, so good for him, a story of resilience, and you know that's kind of what college football and the Heisman Trophy is really all about. So impressed for Michael Penix and, and happy for him and happy for that program if he's able to keep doing what he's doing and end up with the hardware. Absolutely. And now let's go into that game with Caleb Williams and USC. Honestly, their defense didn't play as poorly as I anticipated. However, the offense was so bad and Williams made three really bad decisions throwing the football there to cause those interceptions. They had the two late fumbles, but USC's offensive line was really weak. Caleb Williams had those turnovers and Notre Dame had to work with a short field pretty much the entire night. They only had just over 250 yards of offense, which when you look at a game against USC, like, how did you blow out USC with 256 yards of offense? Well, that's easy. When you're plus five in the turnover battle, you don't need to have 400 yards of offense. And Notre Dame did just that. They scored on a couple big plays. They did everything well in that game, and they affected Caleb Williams a lot. And when you saw Notre Dame get into the later stages of that ball game, they were just imposing their physical will offensively and defensively. And we know we've talked about it on the show multiple times that that was our cause of concern for USC. But now seeing it on the field, that product against a really physical team on the road, I now think USC is definitely in trouble and they could be in danger of losing three to four games because of what's left on their schedule in the Pac-12, having Washington, Oregon, and uh, UCLA still on the docket there. And Utah this weekend. Yeah. No, I think uh, not only this year is USC in trouble, but you know they're going to the Big Ten next year. And Notre Dame is, I would say, a Big Ten style program. They're physical. They're not sure. really going to beat you, you know, with with huge plays down the field. They're going to drive down the field. They're going to run the ball. They're going to be tough in the trenches. Their offensive line is always excellent. They churn out pro prospects on the offensive line and at the tight end position every single year. And I think that that kind of bodes problems for USC. I think, you know, for all the talk about Ohio State's toughness, for example, they went in and into South Bend and beat Notre Dame. You know, USC turns around, goes into South Bend against the Notre Dame team that has played what? That was their third or fourth night primetime ranked game in a row. And Notre Dame smashed them. And I think that that has bigger implications for USC going forward rather than just this year. I think the program 
and Lincoln Riley really need to this offseason focus on beefing up in the trenches. I know they, they focus a lot on the transfer portal, and it's hard to get impact transfers on the line. You hear that from every coach across the country because those players just don't leave. They're already, you know, identified and found at their, at their current school. So it's hard to find good talent in the transfer portal to beef up your lines. Um, but USC has got to figure something out. I mean, you're right. The defense was not terrible. Uh, the problem is that there's no margin for error. So the offense has to basically play perfect in order for them to win the game because there's lack of margin for error on the defensive side of the ball. And yeah, I think it's a problem for USC moving forward. Utah this weekend will be another physical test. So we'll see how they do in that one. Uh, but yeah, I think there, there's certainly big problems in Los Angeles and we'll see how Lincoln Riley goes about fixing them. What's interesting too, is if you listen around the country, there were some people surprised by the result of that ball game. But if you listen to the show here, we told everybody last week that Notre Dame was going to be ready. They were playing at home. I know it was the end of the four game ranked stretch that you mentioned, but we knew that Notre Dame was going to be up for this game because it's a rivalry game. And we expected them to physically impose their will on an inferior USC team physically. And then the turnovers just amplified all of those things that we told you. And then the same thing, looking at Louisville and Pitt, we called that game with Pitt. We said watching this ball game, that emotional spot mm -hmm. for Louisville was going to be the downturn. So if you listen to the Saturday Cadence podcast, guys, we have got you covered on these games. You can trust us no matter what, because we've got you every week. So now let's parlay this into Ohio State, Penn State. This is a huge game. It's the biggest of the college football season so far. So we're going to take a pretty deep dive into this for you guys. Going to be highlighted by defense. But David, before we do, what are your opening feels for this game before we actually dive into it and give some stats and, and metrics for the viewers? Yeah, this will be a fun one. There's, there's a lot of storylines on both sides. First of all, Penn State, maybe their best team in a long time. James Franklin trying to shake off the uh, big game James misnomer. Um, we'll see if he's able to finally win one or two this year. Um, but they got an Ohio kid, Drew Aller, quarterback coming home, a kid that Ohio State passed on uh, kind of late in the game there with Quinn Ewers signed there for a while. They kind of lost out on Drew Aller. Um, so a lot of storylines on, on that side. And then for Ohio State, similarly, this is their biggest home game of the year. Obviously, they'll have Michigan and Ann Arbor. They played Notre Dame and South Bend. So biggest home game of the year. A lot of Ohio State fans are mad that it's a noon kickoff, and I can't blame them. I think that takes away from the atmosphere. I think really all across the country we would prefer this to be a night game. I'm sure it's not just Ohio State fans who think that. Um, but, yeah, I think it's going to be a great weekend in the Big Ten. I think it's going to be a great weekend for these two schools. I'm really excited to see it play out. And I think it's going to be a good football game. I'd be very surprised if this was a lopsided score one way or the other. I think we're, we're in store for a good one here. Yeah, both defenses are way too good to allow a blowout victory. So when we look at these teams, I think it's safe to say, too, Penn State is the team that's getting more hype coming into this game because we look at Ohio State, they've sustained their first test. They passed it against Notre Dame on the road. But we have some questions about the Buckeyes on the offensive line, only because we've seen them in a matchup game. We've not seen Penn State in a matchup game so far this season. So they enter the matchup with the country's number one scoring defense and total defense. However, three of the opponents that they face, though, are Delaware, Iowa, and UMass. So those offenses are very, very poor. So the numbers could be a little bit skewed, but still, I don't want to mistake that for saying Penn State still has a very, very good defense. It is in the elite category. And then you have Drew Aller. So this is going to be his first road start in an environment of this caliber. You know, he went on the road to Illinois. 
Champaign is going to be nothing compared to the rocking Columbus that you're going to have even in a noon kickoff. That place is going to be loud and it's going to affect him. So how he weathers the storm is going to be very interesting. But I think the stat that stands out to me the most with Penn State looking at this game is, David, do you know how many times that they've averaged more than five yards per play this season? If you had to guess, what would that number be to you? I know it's not many. They have had trouble getting big plays. So I, I don't know, one? That's correct. It's one. And the number in that game, 5.1 yards per play. That was in the opener against West Virginia. So when you look at a team like Penn State, the defense is that good. And then they don't really get chunk plays offensively. They're not very explosive on offense. So how does Penn State beat you? Football is a game about matchups. So Penn State is beating their opponents just by nickel and diming them methodically driving down the field. They're still putting up points, but they're doing it three yards in a cloud of dust style or the underneath routes to Drew Aller. That's what he likes to do. He likes to work underneath in those short to intermediate throws because he's only attempted 20 or 12 passes of 20 plus yards this season. Five of those came against UMass over the weekend, and he was one of five on those. So when we talk about matchups here, Ohio State has played that coverage where they don't want to give up the big play and they give up those underneath plays. So if Ohio State comes in with that approach, I think that favors Penn State. But if Jim Knowles looks at this Penn State offense, I think we're going to see Ohio State come out in a little bit more press man or some tight coverage to force Aller to beat them over the top. What do you think about the matchup there between this Penn State offense versus the Ohio State secondary? Yeah, I think they're going to have to Beat Ohio State over the top. Ohio State secondary has been underrated this year. They've been really strong. Penn State's going to have to find a way to beat them over the top. We saw the Notre Dame game. Notre Dame, you know, they, they're they a similar offense to Penn State. They're going to try and, you know, run the ball methodically, get you down the field. Um, and, yeah, I think uh, I think Penn State's got to beat them over the top, and we'll see if Drew Aller's able to adapt, and maybe they've got some wrinkles in the playbook they just haven't shown yet. Um and we'll see if they're able to beat them over the top. I think that's going to be the X factor. People have been talking about it all week, and we'll see if it holds true. Yeah, obviously, now Denzel Burke's health is key to this for Ohio State stopping the Penn State passing attack, if you want to call it that, because if Burke is on the field, he's one of the top cover corners in the country. He would be on Keandre Lambert-Smith, and then it really becomes a problem for Penn State. Can they find creative ways to get him in space and get him open? Or are they going to have to try to rely on running the football and eventually hoping they can wear down a strong front seven for Ohio State? The Buckeyes defense is also elite. It's in the top three in scoring defense as well. So I think this is a defense versus defense game. And it's going to be that chess match of who can calculate the right shots on offense, who can execute, and then also who can get to the red zone and find touchdowns instead of field goals. Because historically, the last couple of seasons, this game has had a lot more field goals than maybe the two offenses would have liked. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And and if you look at the historical matchup, this game is always played close. It doesn't really matter how good either team is. You know, it's it's that rivalry game. Uh, obviously, Ohio State's real rival is Michigan. But, you know, there, there's some animosity here between these two teams. And this game is always played close. And I don't expect that to change this week. No, not at all. And then on Ohio State's front, I think the key for the Buckeyes offensively is the offensive line versus the Penn State front seven, because that is a nasty front seven for the Nittany Lions. They're going to want to get in Kyle McCord's face, and they're going to also want to stop the run. Ohio State's not been great in the run game this year. Now, they found something with Dallin Hayden last week, 
some concerns with Dallin Hayden pass protection. So Buckeye fans listening, I don't want you to mistake what you saw on the field. Dallin Hayden having a good performance for, oh, he's RB1. He needs to be on the field. You got to watch him in pass protection too. He's a great running back and he will definitely make plays in this ballgame because his style is, I think, what Ohio State needs to beat Penn State. But I also think it needs to be coupled with a healthy Travion Henderson because those are the two more shifty backs. They're opportunistic running backs. They can create their own space or their own lane. They're shifty. They have that burst. I think that's the style and gap schemes Ohio State needs to use against this Penn State front. I don't think it's one between the tackles. No, I agree. I think Ohio State's had some trouble running between the tackles this year. They've also had some trouble running outside. Um, And, yeah, I think Ohio State really needs to get the ground game going. We'll see what the status of Tradeon Henderson and Maya Williams is. Dallin Hayden was really good. They said they're still not sure. You know, their plan was to retreat him. We'll see if that stays the same. Um, he He was really, really, really good against Purdue last week, and I was impressed by his running. I think uh He's he's going to be a difference maker one way or the other, and you hope Ohio State keeps him involved. But at the same time, you got three running backs ahead of him on the depth chart who can also tote the rock with the best of them and Travion and Maya Williams and Chip Trainum. We'll see how many of those three are available this weekend. Um, but yeah, I think Ohio State's going to have to run the ball if they want to be successful in this game. And Kyle McCord is going to have to take care of the ball. No turnovers if he wants to be successful in this one. Oh, you hit the nail on the head exactly with. Kyle McCord and no turnovers. Ohio State has to take care of the football because against a defense like that, you can't give them opportunities to score or a short field. Make Penn State's offense win them the game by having to drive the length of the field and trying to sustain some drives together. So, David, another thing, last year watching this game, it seemed like every time Marvin Harrison Jr. caught the football, Ohio State got a first down. I believe he had 15 catches last year. They need to feed Marvin Harrison Jr. He has to be the top target for the Buckeyes in this matchup. But Emeka Ibuka also missed last week. He left the game against Maryland with a lower body injury that has been undisclosed. We're not sure of his health. If he's not able to go in this matchup, who can step up for Ohio State to make up for that? Now, I know Ibuka is one of the top receivers in the country, so it's not so much as plug and chug, but Ohio State is very deep at that room. Brian Hartline does an outstanding job, and there are guys behind him. Who can we look for to make an impact if Ibuka is not able to go? Well, the two freshmen stepped up last week, Carnell Tate and Brandon Ennis, both catching touchdowns. Uh, Ennis on his first career reception took it, what, 60-something yards to the house. I was impressed by that. Um, so I think those are your two guys. Obviously, Xavier Johnson, the Block O jersey holder, is another X factor who's been in big games throughout his career, played well in those big games. They can use him out of the backfield. They can use him in the slot. Uh, so just another chess piece for Ryan Day and Brian Hartline to move around. Um, so I would say those three guys are probably the ones you look out for. And then, of course, you have the tight end, Kate Stover, who's been that safety valve now for a couple of years in Columbus. Um, that's just another option. They're deep at the skill positions. Obviously, Ohio State the last couple of years probably has the best skill position players in the country overall. I've been impressed with them. So, yeah, I would say those are your three guys. I think so, too. And lastly, David, before we move on to our picks, Ohio State, has seemed that there's a lot of pressure on them this year because they've lost to Michigan the last two seasons. And there's just been a lot of heat in these games. It hasn't looked as flashy sometimes. The defense is better, but the offense has yet to play perfect. The offensive line struggling in the run game. But on the other side with Penn State, you have the big game James moniker that you mentioned a couple weeks ago and that they've not been able to get over the hump and beat Ohio State or Michigan. And now we have their so-called best team in the James Franklin era. Which team has more pressure on them in this game to you? 
Is it James Franklin in Penn State or Ryan Day in the Buckeyes? I still think it's Ohio State. I think everyone's expecting Ohio State to win this game. So by default, they have more pressure. Uh, I think James Franklin needs this one, though. I, I mean, he's got to win at least one of their games against Ohio State and Michigan. If, if he loses both this year with probably his best team uh, since arriving at Penn State, I think, you know, questions will begin to be asked. Has he reached his ceiling as a coach? Whether fair or not, I think those questions are going to be asked. So I think both of these teams have pressure. I think Ohio State still has a little bit more just because they're expected to win the game. They're favored to win the game. Uh, but I think there's certainly pressure on the Penn State side as well. And just by looking at the way this round robin sets up in the Big Ten East and the home stadiums at Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan all playing each with over 100,000 fans, each known for hostile environments. I'm sure each of these three games is going to end up at noon, though we already know two of them are, both involving the Buckeyes. It almost feels like, without giving away too much, that the home team will win each of these games in the round robin series. And now you can't shake a stick at that, and it'll come down to the tiebreaker. But if that happens, then James Franklin does get his big win. Ohio State also gets a big win, but then at the same time, you don't beat Michigan again. So all this is going to sort itself out, and it's going to be great, and we're going to get the first installment of this round robin between the Buckeyes, Wolverines, and Nittany Lions, and really, really excited for this one. It's going to be great. Do you like retro apparel with vintage logos, or do you prefer more current? Either way, Homefield has you covered. They pride themselves on celebrating the history and tradition of colleges and universities across the nation while also highlighting the present day. With over 150 schools to choose from, check out Homefield for all your apparel needs this season. Whether it's a t-shirt, hoodie, or loungewear, Homefield is the only place you should shop for your favorite college apparel. Use code CADENCE at checkout to receive 15% off your first order today. So now let's move into our picks. David, you had a hot week last week, 5-1-1. One, and one. Obviously, both of us picked the push there with Oregon and Washington. So my record is 30-17-2. David, yours 23-17-2. Let's hop into some picks. We will start with a Big Ten rivalry game. This is the Battle of Michigan. Wolverines headed to East Lansing as 24-point favorites against a reeling Spartans team. Who do you like in this game and by how much? Yeah, I mean, this is a tough one for really the only reason that it's still kind of a rivalry game. I'm going to take Michigan here. I think they end up covering. Michigan State, like you said, is reeling. It hasn't been a good season in East Lansing, and I'll take the Wolverines. Right. This game has historically always played close because records don't really matter as much. I just have not seen the right signs of life on the Michigan State football team to lead me to believe they can hang around with the Michigan team that has been likened to an anaconda. They are just beating everybody, and they're not doing it in a way where they're hitting all these big plays. Michigan is just beating you in all three phases of the game, and I think that's what's going to happen. Even being on the road, I think Michigan wins this game comfortably, and they cover that 24. So then we'll slide to the ACC. Big matchup here, but the spread's a little bit larger than I would have anticipated at face value after seeing the way these two teams have played. Duke is on the road at Doak Campbell playing Florida State, and the Seminoles are favored by 14 points at home. Now, this is a night game, so that will also be a factor. David, who do you like between the Blue Devils and the Seminoles? 
I like Florida State in this one. This was another tough one. Duke's had a really nice year, and I think they're a tough team. I just think going to Tallahassee, I, I think it's too much to overcome. I like Florida State here. Yeah, I, I debated that as well because the game is at home for the Seminoles and it's at night. That environment's going to be, it's going to be rocking for the Seminoles. I just, I like what Mike Elko's done this year with Duke, and I think they can cover the fourteen points even being on the road. Duke is a, a stinky good football team. It said that in Week One when I picked them over Clemson. So I'm going to ride with Duke again here just to cover. I still think Florida State wins, but after watching the Seminoles the last couple of weeks and the competition they faced. I think they might be a touch inflated. Still a very, very good football team. But I think they've also come back down to earth now. They're going to have their hands full with Duke, but they're going to get it done. Now we'll go out to the Pac-12. Mentioned USC earlier. Well, here's their matchup hosting Utah as six-and-a-half-point favorites. USC is the favorite in this game. Who do you like in this battle? Does USC find a way to get back on track against the physical Utah team? Yeah, this one is actually really, really tough. And uh, I picked USC last week. It didn't work out. I'm going to take Utah to cover in this one. I don't know who wins, but I'm taking Utah to cover. See, when I looked at this matchup, I was like, is Cam Rising playing or is Cam Rising not playing? I feel like every time Utah's been on our mm-hmm. board this year, that's our question. So I, we almost want to make the contingency pick of, hey, if he plays, Utah wins. If he does not, USC wins and covers. I just have that sneaky suspicion that USC is going to find a way to bounce back. Now, my eyes tell me differently that Utah's just going to outman them again. So with hesitation, I'm going to take USC because I think they bounce back. They're going at home. Not really confident in this pick, but I'm going to take USC here. I think they can get it by a touchdown, especially if Cam Rising does not play. So now another rivalry game here. Going to the SEC, this is a big weekend of college football last year. This was an absolute classic Tennessee getting its first win over Alabama in nearly two decades. Well, now they travel to Tuscaloosa, and they are nine-point underdogs in this matchup. Does Alabama get this done at home? Interesting line. Interesting line. I've I've taken Alabama all year. I'm going to take them again. I think they get it done. I think they're starting to figure things out, figuring out a system that works for 2023 Alabama. So I'm going to take them here. Right. Football is about matchups, as we told you. I like this Alabama defense against the Tennessee offense because this Tennessee offense is different from a year ago where it had Hendon Hooker and Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman and that stable of wide receivers where it was just a vertical onslaught down the field. Tennessee does not have that this year. If they did, that's the way to expose and beat Alabama because their weakness is on the back end of the defense. But since they can't do that, I like Alabama to cover in this game as well. We'll stay in the SEC, though. Another sneaky good game here. Ole Miss, six-and-a-half-point road favorites against Auburn. Hugh Freeze starting to get Tigers rolling here. Can they have enough, or will they have enough, to pull the upset of the visiting Ole Miss Rebels? Yeah, this will be a fun game. Auburn kind of hung in there the last couple of weeks against some pretty good teams. Uh, I think Ole Miss covers in this one. I think they cover late, though. I think this is a close game up until the middle of the fourth quarter. Yeah, I'm with you. I debated the lane train getting derailed here, but I think it's going to stay on track. Late cover for Ole Miss as well. Auburn will put up a fight, much like the Georgia game. Just a tighter spread there. Now we'll widen the margin here when we go to the Big 12. Texas, 24.5 point favorites on the road against Houston. This could be a one of those weird spots for Texas just being on the road. 
against an inferior opponent. Houston's first time hosting Texas as a member of the Big 12. David, do you like Texas in this game to cover with Quinn Ewers, or do you think Houston could keep it closer? I think Houston's going to keep it closer. I think Texas wins. I think they could win by 21, but I think that's a large spread, and I like Houston to cover. Yeah, th- this game is at home, so I'm inclined to take Houston because of that, and I will. So 24 and a half, I think we might see Texas win this game by 24, honestly. I think it's a pretty good number, but give me Houston because of that extra half a point. So now, David, we have spent most of the show talking about this big matchup in the Big Ten. This spread opened at five and a half. It is now down to four. Penn State visiting Ohio State in Columbus. Noon kickoff, big noon Saturday. We'll have the game, Joel Klatt and Gus Johnson. And then college game day will also be there. All eyes are going to be on Columbus. Who wins this game, by how much, and what's the difference in the ballgame? Yeah, game of the year so far. I think Penn State, I'm going to take Penn State to cover. I don't know who wins. I, it just gives me a little more breathing room there with uh, Ohio State potentially winning by a field goal. So I'm going to take the Nittany Lions to cover. I think there's going to be a couple of keys. The first one we talked about already, can Drew Aller make those downfield plays? We saw it last year with Michigan. They had to use those downfield plays as big plays to beat Ohio State. I think that's been the recipe this year for Jim Knowles, eliminating those big plays. That's why his defense has been so successful. We'll see who wins that battle. And then for Ohio State, like I said, no turnovers. They got to keep control of the football, score a few touchdowns, give their defense a chance to rest and recover potentially, and then go out there in the fourth quarter and close it down. So should be a fun game to watch. I'm really excited for this one. Big noon Saturday always uh, provides a good atmosphere, so it should be a fun one. It's going to be great. Now, Ohio State's not covered a spread at home against Penn State in almost a decade, but I think that changes on Saturday. Since it's at four, I'm going to take the Buckeyes to cover in the ballgame because I think Drew Aller on the road, the crowd and the defense, JTT will find a way to affect Aller again. They're going to cause a turnover in the game. I think this is a defensive battle. It's going to be a chess match. Both worthy teams of college football playoff contention, no doubt. I think it looks similar to the way the Ohio State-Notre Dame game looked. The difference for Ohio State is they'll be at home with the crowd behind them. I think the first team to 21 is going to win the ball game. I think Ohio State gets there. Buckeyes win 23 to 16. I like that take. I think that's that's about about the score I, I would predict. I think I agree with you. It's going to be a defensive battle. Manny Diaz and Jim Knowles are going to be going at it all afternoon. It should be fun to watch. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a chess match. And I think, too, a trend we've noticed with Jim Knowles is Maybe the first series or two in the first half and that first series in the second half, he kind of feels out what the other team's doing, and then he just locks them down for the remaining part of that half. So really interested to see the chess match, like you just mentioned, between the two defensive coordinators there and then Ryan Day. Can he get creative enough to find ways to get Marvin Harrison Jr. open to run the football and take those calculated shots downfield? Because McCord's going to have to be on, and he's going to have to be – he's going to have to hit his receivers – he can't have the drops he had last week, but he's also got to watch underthrowing the football. We've seen it in a couple games where he's underthrown Marvin Harrison Jr., or Julian Fleming. Those balls have to be on target in stride because these Penn State DBs are good and they'll cause turnovers if McCord does throw a little bit underneath there. So, really good game on tap. Really excited for it. I still, it's a shame it's at noon, but going to be a good game, no less. Any upset special picks before we sign off today? 
You know, I'm going to be totally honest with you. I am focused on this Ohio State-Penn State game. That's going to have my attention. So ask me at about 4 o'clock on Saturday. Maybe I'll have another pick for you. Me too. It seems like time is frozen until we get to noon on Saturday, and then all eyes are going to be on the Buckeyes. So I'm with you. I don't have one either. I know you asked off show last week about how Alyssa's picks were doing. She's not a one-off here. Yes. She's yes. not a one-off. So she is sitting at, of the games we've picked that she also picks, we do it on ESPN. She is 20 and 12 so far. That's good for a 63% clip. So, I mean, we are right neck, right neck and neck again. I just, last week we're sitting there watching the games with it was a uh, Texas A&M and Tennessee and I was telling I was like yeah I debated this one going back and forth I thought Texas A&M's defense was going to be the difference but you know I really didn't trust them that much so I should have taken Tennessee she's like well just go with your gut why do you keep doubting yourself she's like just mocking me there because she took Tennessee <laughs> without much reservation so we need her confidence is more or less what I'm going to say so maybe we'll get there eventually she this needs season, a job but... with fan with FanDuel she, she, she does be the, the FanDuel college college football expert yeah, that brand deal's coming. There's no doubt that collab's on its way if she keeps picking like this. I mean, this is sustained greatness here for 19 weeks in a row, dating back to last season. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah if we're doing it straight up, she's 72% on the year, which is just absurd. But anyway, really good show, David. Great weekend of college football coming, guys. Enjoy the weekend. Get your defense ready because it's going to be needed in Columbus. I'll tell you that much. David, any closing thoughts? I'm just looking forward to it. Saturday at noon, going to be a fun one all weekend long. Buckle up. Absolutely, guys. Continue to stay tuned to Saturday Cadence on social media so we can continue bringing you coverage. We'll get you some picks and some live game coverage, too, at Saturday Cadence on Instagram and Twitter or X, and then at Saturday Cadence Pod on TikTok. Guys, thank you for listening. Make sure you, again, like and subscribe to the show. Continue to share it. We are appreciative of all of you. Enjoy the weekend of college football. We'll be back with you next week to break it all down. Enjoy the weekend of football. Thank you for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast and follow our coverage by tuning into our website, tsilverbulletin.com and following us on social media at TSilverBulletin on Instagram and Twitter, as well as at Saturday Cadence on Twitter. If you follow those social outlets, you will stay up to date with the latest recruiting news, the latest around college football, and the latest just touch points where we can post clips from the show, and you guys can continue to digest content in any way that we can get it to you. Also, if you would share the show. We would greatly appreciate that as we continue to grow our audience. Again, thank you guys for listening.